Really good to see all of you today. I'm really, really glad every single one of you are here, especially uh, if you're a guest. We're delighted to have you as our guest today. Uh, way to go, all you hunters, for giving up the second day of big game rifle season. Really proud of you, and may God bless you being here with a large animal later in the season. Midweek, of course. <laughs> this is uh, an especially significant message, of course, uh, we think they're all significant, but it seems this one rises just a little higher than the rest because we're talking about really who we are as a church, where we're headed in the future, and in general, what we're about as a community. And uh, this wasn't just hatched uh, me and the Lord over in my office. You should know that over the past nine months, uh, we've been gathering uh, monthly or so as pastoral staff. That's me and John Oakland, Michelle Oakland, Derry Long, Brandon Edwards, Chris Townley, Chris Stuckey, Bob Schwan, Sam Bennett. Sam Summers, before he went to heaven, uh, for day-long guided intensive through a vision clarity process. And that was us, uh, your pastoral leaders, spending days and hours in a room together trying to get really, really clear about who we are and what God's asking us to be all about as a church. It's been a really fun, challenging, gut-wrenching, even on some days arduous process to get where we are now, and it's been fantastic. You've already seen and heard uh, some of that work, much of that work. The whole I Dare You series is a result of that process. And really, I just get the privilege of wrapping up uh, the series with our new mission statement, which is sort of the capstone of that vision clarity adventure. Now, every organization almost on planet Earth has a mission statement, right? You can hardly even call yourself any kind of organization without having a mission statement or a vision statement, whatever they call it. In essence, some cleverly crafted, carefully articulated words in a frame hanging on some wall somewhere in the headquarters of the organization stating to anyone and everyone who takes a minute and stops and reads it why in the world your organization exists, right? Probably the organization you work for, probably the organization you volunteer for has a mission statement hanging on a wall somewhere. Maybe you know it. Maybe you know that it's like a gazillion words in a frame and it's in that guy's office over there and if I ever needed to read it, I could go and do that, right? You know what I'm talking about. Now just for a little fun, uh, see if you recognize this mission statement from a world-renowned company. See if this looks familiar to you. This is the name of the company and they provide its customers quality office and information technology products, furniture, printing values, and the expertise required for making informed buying decisions. That, that's a big clue right there. We provide our products and services with a dedication to the highest degree of integrity and quality customer satisfaction, developing long-term professional relationships with employees that develop pride, creating a stable working environment, and company spirit. World-renowned company. Are there any guesses about which company that might be? It is exactly, that's the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company's mission statement. Those guys. The office, in case you have no idea what in the world we're talking about, led by none other than Michael Scott, Dunder Mifflin. Now before you knew that it was the Dunder Mifflin Paper Company, uh, you, you were into that mission statement, right? You're like, oh, that sounds really good. But now that you know it's these guys, 
right? And you read these words, the highest degree of integrity, quality, customer satisfaction, developing long-term professional relationships with employees that develop pride, creating a stable working environment and company spirit. Now that you know that, you're going like, seriously, you've got to be kidding me. You watch one episode of The Office, by the way, one of my favorite television shows in the history of TV, and what you're saying, most of you, is that mission statement's like a joke. Seriously, like company pride and what in the world? It's a joke. But unlike Dunder Mifflin, your pastors feel very strongly that our church's mission statement can't just be a joke. Nor can it be just some glossy, slick-sounding words hanging in a frame in some room somewhere, a marketing slogan of sorts. Not at all. We feel really strongly that our mission statement has to come out of God's work in us and express to the world God's continuing work through us, all of us, like you and you and you and you get all of us. Every single one of us, which is the genesis of our landing with this as our mission statement. Daring to create space for all people to dig out who God made them to be. Daring to create space for all people to dig out who God made them to be. 16 words. Lots going on in there, which is why I'm going to spend the remaining time we have together unpacking what that mission means for us. You probably noticed already the title of this entire message series comes from the very first word in that mission statement, that word daring. We're quite energized by that word. We chose it very, very carefully because we're convicted that one of the hallmarks of faith in Jesus Christ ought to be our venturesome boldness which, by the way, is the definition of the word daring. Venturesome boldness. And let me ask you this question. When was the last time your faith in Jesus Christ, your trust in God, caused you to step out in venturesome boldness? When was the last time your faith in Jesus Christ, your trust in God, caused you to have to step out in venturesome boldness? And I'm certain what's happening with you, the same thing that happened with me, I ask that question, your and my mental gears start turning, and we're thinking and thinking and thinking, well, when was it, when was it, when was it, when was it? But understand, the intended nature of faith in Jesus Christ is such that no one who claims his name, none who calls themselves Christian, should ever, none of us, should ever have to rack our brains to think of the last time our faith looked, acted, felt daring. No follower of Jesus Christ should ever have to rummage through mental cobwebs to recall the last time our faith in God was marked by a venturesome, stepping off the edge of faith boldness. It ought not be that way. May it never be for us, for me. Because you see, from the very beginning of all time, trusting God, following him, living for him, meant living quite a daring kind of life. But for so many people today, Christians, great people, great-hearted people, the daring has been lost. There isn't much daring in American Christianity these days. There just isn't. 
And I could talk about how this concept of daring shows up in a gazillion different biblical narratives, right? You're Rolodexing through them right now, some of you. But I just want to tease you with this one. I don't have time to set the whole thing up. But the relatively short story is that at this point in history, Old Testament history, it's time for the Israelites to finally cross over into the promised land. The land God pledged to them. They've been wandering around the wilderness for 40 years, awaiting literally the die-off of a generation of Israelites who didn't trust God enough to dare to go when he said go. All those folks had died off. And now it's time for them to cross over. The only thing, however, that stands between the Israelites and God's promised land, you know what it is? The Jordan River, but not just the Jordan River, It's the Jordan River at flood stage. The Jordan River at flood stage. Probably the Jordan River at flood stage is about 150 feet wide, 10 to 20 feet deep. Not in flood stage, regular season, the Jordan River is like a little irrigation ditch. Flood stage though, it's 150 feet wide, 10 to 20 feet deep. And this is what God tells Joshua, who is the leader of the Israelites, this is what God tells him to tell his people to do. Give this command, Joshua, to the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, take a few steps into the river and stop there. And you can sort of hear Joshua breathing like a little sigh of relief to himself, like, glad I'm not one of the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant. Right? I'm, I'm off the hook. So he gathers the guys and he tells them, here's what you're supposed to do. When you reach the banks of the Jordan River, carrying the Ark of the Covenant, take a few steps out into the river and stop there. How safe is that command from God? Not at all safe. Not even remotely safe. God tells Joshua to lead his people to be daring People filled with venturesome boldness carry the Ark of the Covenant, step off of the edge, which, by the way, it wasn't like a beach in Cancun, you know, where the, it just meanders out there and you can be like 100 yards offshore and you're not even knee-deep. It's not like that. The first step off during flood stage, they're probably waist-deep. And they got the Ark filled with venturesome boldness. Quite the opposite of safe. Not safe. Because you see, in case you didn't know, priests don't float. The Ark of the Covenant, what was it made out of? Gold. And what's inside of the Ark of the Covenant? Stone tablets. Heavy. That's like a boat anchor on the shoulders of the priests. You tell your guys, step out into the river, take a few steps, not not even just one, take a few, out into the raging flood stage water and stop there. God says, I dare you. I dare you. Trust me. Hang on tight to me. And it's the essence of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Our lives are to be marked by venturesome boldness, not just warm-seated safety. We'd be daring. 
Will you be daring? And we're daring to do something. Next little bite of the mission statement. We're daring to create space. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it's really, really simple. You know this in your life, that when you create space for something, you're setting apart time, you're setting apart resources, you're choosing to prioritize the thing that you're creating space for, you're allocating emotional and spiritual room for something in your life. And let's just get it out on the table. When we create space for one thing, we're likely gonna have to revoke the space that some other things have had in our lives. Because we can't do it all. Now this sounds really tricky, but Jesus models this space-creating thing for us, and it's really, really simple. I know you've seen this triangle a bit. I'm gonna take you through it again because I don't think we can hear it enough. The first space that Jesus models so well for us creating is the up space, the vertical, intimate, relational space with God. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 39, Jesus models this up kind of space that we are daring to create. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room when as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, that's the disciples, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, even as I say that, like yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. It was a regular occurrence for him to go and create this up, personally intimate space with his Father. And that up space, that up relationship was as fundamental to Jesus Christ as breathing was. I heard one guy say it this way. Jesus inhaled his father's presence so that he could exhale his father's will. He inhales his father's presence so that he could exhale his father's will. And Journey, we're inviting every single one of us to dare to create space for our up relationship with God. With God. It can't be neglected. But up isn't the only relationship we're creating space for. We're also daring to create space to be in relationship with some close-in disciples and friends with whom we follow Jesus and do life with. Again, Jesus teases this out for us. He shows us what this looks like in part. John chapter 21. Later, that's after the crucifixion, this is after the resurrection, Jesus is just sort of showing up in his resurrected form here, there, and everywhere. And so he had appeared in a few places, and then later after those, he appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. And this is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there, Simon Peter, Thomas, who was nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples. And Simon Peter says, you know, This has all been very brutal, what we've been through in the last few days. Very difficult. I don't know which way is up. And so I'm going to go back to what I know, and that's fishing. I'm going fishing. The other guys are like, "Mm, I don't have anything better to do, so we'll go too. And so they went out in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. At dawn, 
Jesus was standing on the beach. But the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? He's like mocking them. Have a good night fishing, boys? No, they replied. And he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat. You'll get some there. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic, for he had stripped for work, jumped into the water, headed to shore. The others stayed with the boat, pulled the loaded net to the shore. For they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found, what did they find? Breakfast waiting for them. Breakfast on the beach. Fish cooking over a charcoal fire. Bread. Bring some of the fish you've just caught, Jesus said. So Simon Peter went aboard, dragged the net to the shore. 153 large fish, and yet the net hadn't torn. Now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Then Jesus served them the bread and the fish. You read a little further in that text, and Jesus has a very personal, very strong discipleship conversation with Simon Peter about the course of his existence, the rest of his life. What are you going to be about, Peter? What are you going to do with your life from here on out? Jesus had this inward dimension of his relational life that he dared to create space for. He invites you and I to do the exact same thing. And then again, just like Jesus, we're daring to create space for the outward component of relationship. Reaching out to people who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. John chapter 4, starting in verse 5, Jesus shows us, eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you, who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. And again, and again, and again, Jesus functions just like that he chose to sit down, he chose to reach out very intentionally to this Samaritan woman. Why? Because she was in need. Because she was in need. And so journey, that's us. We're daring to create space both individually as well as corporately to live the up, the in, and the out life that Jesus models for us. And understand that that space we create, it isn't just for us. It's for all people. Next bite of the mission statement. It's for all people. It's for everyone. Jesus Christ could not have been more clear about this. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, the Great Commission. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples all of all the nations, of all the people. Everyone, go and make disciples of everyone. No one is excluded. It's not a clique. It's not us for no more. Everyone, everyone, everyone is invited to the discipleship relationship with Christ. Everyone. 
And so you ask the question, if we're daring to create space for all people, what in the world are all those people doing in the space we're creating? Two words now. Well, I'm going to put an I-N-G. They're digging out. They're digging out. And those two little words, dig out, as they show up in the mission statement, created some of the most animated and impassioned conversation among your pastors in those vision clarity sessions. We wrestled and struggled and grappled and wordsmithed and thesaurusized. That's not a word, but I just used it like it was. Because we wanted to say what it is that the Lord has compelled all of us to feel so strongly. We wanted to say it very, very carefully, very carefully. And it goes like this. People, all people, you and me, all of our staff, all of our pastors, every single person on the planet is born stained, tainted by something called original sin. You can blame Adam and Eve, but if it wasn't them, it would have been me. So, you know. No one is exempt from that stain, that taint. And sin's stain causes the person that God made you and I to be to be obscured, covered up by the junk of this world. Who we're made by God to be is from birth covered up by all of that crud. And you might not have put words to it like that before, but you intrinsically feel it as you go through this life. Everything is not as it is intended to be. Most of us are not as God intended us to be because we've got this crud And if a person goes through their entire life leaving things just as they are, never ever giving attention to the sin that marks their life and being, they will never be the people God made or intended them to be. Ever. And so you see what Jesus Christ did when he died on the cross was offer all of humanity freedom from that stain, that taint, the eternal consequences of our sin for no other reason except he loves you that much. Your good behavior didn't motivate him. Your wonderful deeds didn't motivate him. He loves you simply. And so he offers you freedom. He offers me freedom from the stain, the taint, eternal consequences of our sin. And get this. Just because a person has asked forgiveness for their sin and has been forgiven by God for their sin, it does not automatically mean that they are walking in the fullness of everything God intends Christ's freedom to bring them. Just because you prayed a prayer once, just because you raised your hand once or twice or even 25 times, it does not mean that you are walking in the fullness of everything God intends Christ's freedom to bring your life. Rather, Christ's forgiving death, his forgiving burial, his forgiving resurrection gives people, you and me, everyone on the planet, the starting place wherein the Lord begins to partner with you and me, here's the words, to dig out and dig through all of sin's taint and all of sin's crud and all of sin's damage so that you and I can be everything God intends for us to be. And I don't care who you are 
we all have digging to do with the Lord. Salvation is just the starting place. It's not the finishing place, it's not the middle place. Salvation and forgiveness is just the starting place. And Jesus shows us exactly what this digging looks like. Now understand, Christ wasn't at all encumbered by any sin whatsoever, but he shows us a bit what this digging looks like. Back to the Luke 22 text. Again, here it is. This is the Mount of Olives scene. Some people call it the Olive Garden scene, but really it's the Mount of Olives. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room, went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give in to temptation. He walked away about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed. And here's how he prayed. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet while I'm asking you to take that cup of suffering away from me, I want your will to be done, not mine. And then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed then more fervently and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. That's Jesus Christ. It's a snapshot of Jesus Christ, the one and only son of God, part of the Godhead, part of the Trinity, digging with his heavenly father to the depths of his soul on a quest to be entirely and absolutely certain that there's not anything in him that's hindering God's will and God's plan to coming to fruition through his life. He doesn't want anything to get in the way of God's will. We're gonna, we're gonna dig. We're gonna dig. And you notice how candid Jesus is with his father. He says, I'm paraphrasing here, you know, God, it'd be really, really great if you'd take this whole crucifixion, dying for the sin of humanity thing. It'd be really cool if you just took that away from me, if I didn't have to do that. That's what he means by the cup of suffering. That's what he's talking about there. If I didn't have to drink that cup, that'd be awesome. Because this isn't gonna be a picnic. But, he says, at the same time I ask you that. If you wanna take that, that'd be cool. If that isn't what you want from me, if that isn't what you want for me, then God, Father, will you please dig my desire to be set free from this course out of me? Will you dig that out of me? He's saying, in essence, the same thing we ought to be saying every single minute of every single day. God, go to work on my heart, go to work on my soul so that what I want is what you want. So that what I want is what you want. And that process that Jesus goes through with his heavenly father is the same kind of process he's calling and inviting and challenging every single person on planet earth into. Create the space to dig down and dig through the personal damage sin has caused so that you can be, get this word, whole. And some of us don't have any idea what that even feels like or looks like whole and so that they can be last line of the mission statement who God made them to be so they can be so that you can be so that I can be who God made them to be and understand God made you to be you God didn't make you to be like anyone except you absolutely God does invite and call and challenge us to be like Christ But like a friend of mine likes to say, the more you look like you, the more you look like Jesus. 
And that's only possible because God put his image, God put the imago Dei, his image, the image of God inside of every single person in the world. He put it inside of you, hardwired it into us. Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 27. This is the creation account. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. What's the deal with the us? That's Trinitarian theology right there. That's the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit of God, present at creation. And God said, let us, the Trinity, make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth. This, by the way, is why we get to hunt. All the wild animals on the earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. That's why we get to trap and kill mice. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He sets the Imago Dei, the image of God, inside of every single one of us. And the digging that he desires to partner with us to do is so that his image, so that the Imago Dei is fully revealed, so that it is on full display in and through our lives. Because he wants all of us to be an inviter to everyone else in our lives to the very same mission that we're on with God. We reflect him, we talk about him, we live for him, and we invite others to join us on this mission and journey. That's us. That's us. Daring to create space for all people to dig out who God made them to be. That's who we are. That's why we exist. That's what we're about. But, journey, important footnote here. If we do not want our mission statement to be a joke like the Dunder Mifflin mission statement, if we actually want those words to become and be true of us, we're going to all, all of us, have to get around the front of it and around the back of it and around the sides of it, which is why I'm going to ask you to spend the next five days in the week on some homework around this mission statement. I'm asking you, and I am just asking, I'm not telling you, I'm just asking you, would you please make our mission statement, the accompanying scripture, the content of at least five of your devotional times, five of your up spaces this week? At least five times this week, will you take one of those little chunks of the mission statement and ask God one simple question around each of those five phrases? God, what are you saying to me about that? God, what are you saying to me about that? And you might just start with the daring one since it's the first one. God, what are you saying to me about my venturesome boldness and faith with you? When was the last time I stepped out in venturesome boldness? When was the last time I stepped out in such a way that if you didn't show up, God, it was gonna be flat on my face. God, what are you saying to me about that? And the second question is a question for you and the Lord then to process together. What am I gonna do about that? Lord, what am I gonna do about that? So God, what are you saying to me about that? And then you listen. And then you ask the question, 
what am I going to do with the answer that God just gave me? Meaning, like, is stuff going to change? Am I going to act differently, live differently, think differently, pray differently? Quiet time material at least five times, you and the Lord this week. Because, folks, this really matters. This really matters. Certainly, it's defining the next season of our church's life and ministry. Yes, this statement ushers in how we think about our engagement with God, with each other, with people who have never heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But understand, this isn't just life and death stuff we're talking about here. It's actually bigger than life or death. And you're like, can there be? Yes, there can be. This is eternity we're talking about. We're talking about the eternal destiny of people's souls. And nothing matters more than that. Nothing matters more than the eternal destiny of people's souls. And because that's true, we as a church are daring to create space for all people to dig out who God made them to be. Take your stuff and set it aside if you would, and I invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads and just move into a posture that you're comfortable hearing from and interacting with the Lord in, whatever that looks like for you. And with your heads bowed and eyes closed, I'm just gonna invite you to camp out for a few moments with the Lord on the piece of that mission statement that you think the Lord has the most to say to you about. What is it? What piece is it? Daring? Create space? Is it the for all people piece? dig out who God made let's personalize it you to be which one is it and would you just invite him even now to start speaking to you about the things he wants to partner with you on around that now. You don't have to wait for tomorrow. You don't have to wait for your quiet time tomorrow. You can start that dialogue with him now. Lord, what is it? Lord, what is it you're saying to me about that? And then you just open your spiritual ears wide let him speak and then take his speaking really really seriously don't just blow it off and don't just ignore it and don't just go okay someday I'll maybe engage no it's almighty God talking to you and what are you going to do with that what changes What changes? 
And maybe there's those of you who today are coming alive to this reality that Jesus loved you so much that he died on the cross so that you could step into relationship with God. And maybe today you're coming alive to this truth that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart and he's inviting you to life his way. Life that was only made possible by his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Life that's only possible because of his salvation, his forgiveness, his graciousness. Life lived on his mission. Some of you might be coming alive today to this reality that Jesus is inviting you to come home. to him and be the person that you were made to be from the very beginning of time and if that's you today do not let this moment pass you can take that very bold step of trusting Christ with your whole heart your whole life and your whole eternity by praying along with me I invite you to pray with me this way Jesus Just say, Jesus, I get it. I'm a sinner, utterly incapable of saving myself. I've been trying for a long time. I've been trying, God, to show you that I'm good enough, that I'm strong enough, that I'm smart enough. I'm not ever going to make it. I need you. And so by faith, Jesus, I receive your gift of salvation. I trust you as Savior, I trust you as Lord, and I thank you, Jesus, with everything in me for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, for rising from the dead. I trust you, Christ, with everything. Here's my life, here's my heart. And if you're stepping into saving faith in Jesus Christ today, that is the biggest deal in your entire life. Nothing matters more. Nothing carries more weight. And because that's true around here, we invite people to tell us when they make this momentous decision. And I'm going to ask you to do that with me. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Nobody's looking around this room. It's you, me, and God right now. And if you prayed with me just then to trust Christ, be really bold and would you just slip your hand up and lock eyes with me and just let me acknowledge that decision you can do it yes absolutely sir yes and you and you yes and you and you yes yes and you yes and you yes sir absolutely yes and to my far yeah yeah absolutely And yes, you. And you, yes. Are there any others? I want to miss you. Don't let me miss you. You, yes. God in heaven, we thank you so much that salvation has come to these today. 
We stand in awe of your life and your eternity transforming work in the hearts and lives of people right here today. Jesus, we ask that your life and eternity changing activity would continue in us every single day. That this wouldn't just be 75 minutes in a room where God does some cool stuff and then we just go knock around all week long. But that we would walk in this astounding awareness, God, that you're speaking to us moment by moment, day by day. And that we get the chance to boldly, with great daring, trust you every moment of every single day, in every interaction, in every opportunity, in every circumstance, we get to trust you. And God, that that ruthless trust would be the defining feature of our lives in you. are so good and God we love you so much and Jesus we worship you with our whole lives and beings and it's in your risen name that we pray all of this and everyone agreed together and said